So first, let me say how good it is, how very good it is to be back home and to be back home with you all. Uh, And uh, how much I appreciate the time away. What an incredible privilege it was to accompany some of our youth to Iona. You'll hear more about that. But also to have some time with my own sons traveling after that. And it was really, really a great time. So thank you so much. And it is wonderful to look forward to coming back here. Uh, This morning, I'm excited that we have the opportunity to hear from some of our youth and to see them lead this service. Uh, Most of the sermon really will be their sharing. Uh, And uh, the title of the sermon is Speaking Truth to Power because that was the title or the theme of the youth conference that we attended. Uh, And so I thought that would be appropriate. Uh, and so as uh, you, we now listen for the word of God, I'm going to begin uh, a little bit reading a little extra that's not in the bulletin. Um, we're reading from the second chapter of Acts. You know that's the story of Pentecost, and um, so you'll see, I think, pretty clearly why I'm starting with a few additional verses. Let us listen now for God's word. When the feast of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. In other words, they were hiding somewhere in a room in Jerusalem. Without warning, there was a sound like a strong wind, a gale force. No one could tell where it came from. It filled the whole building. And then, like a wildfire, the Holy Spirit spread through their ranks And they started speaking in a number of different languages as the Spirit prompted them. And there were many Jews staying in Jerusalem just then, devout pilgrims from all over the world. And when they heard the sound, they came on the run. And they came hearing their own language being spoken. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, visitors from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia... Perigia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, immigrants from Rome, Jews and proselytes, even Cretans and Arabs. They're speaking our languages, describing God's mighty works. And then everyone around was in awe, and all these wonders and signs done through the apostles And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple, followed by meals at home, every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw, And every day their number grew as God added to those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. So legend has it that the tiny island of Iona, one mile wide, three miles long, all rock and spongy mud, was the birthplace of Christianity in Scotland somewhere in the 6th century. There probably are a few of you who have been there. 
uh, and many of you who have heard about it. But there are probably also many who don't know much about the Iona community. So you'll hear a little bit more about what it is like. The Vikings raided Iona more than once over a few centuries, and so most of the original buildings there were heavily damaged or destroyed. Just a few remnants remain, but what was rebuilt has been there for over a thousand years. Worship is a fundamental component of life in the Iona community. There, they endeavor to reduce the distance between everyday lives of work and family and recreation and the language of worship. Indeed, the mundane is woven into the fabric of worship as an expression of their understanding of the incarnation of God. That is a strong theme in the Iona community. God with us. God not just out there, but God right here. Evan Haig was one of the youth that went with us on this trip, and he's going to share with us more about worship in Iona. Thank you, Evan. On Iona, worship was unique. The abbey, which was where we worshiped, has been standing on the island for centuries, since the 13th century, and it was amazing to think of the number of people who had worshipped in that same place over the past thousand years, even though it felt like we were on an extremely remote island after a 32 hours or so of traveling. The abbey consisted of many rooms, such as the dorms, the refectory, which was where we ate, the common room, which was a popular gathering place, and the cathedral, which was where we actually worshipped. The cathedral had a long section that ran from the back of the abbey to the front, and then a small section that ran parallel to that so that the cathedral was in the shape of a cross. At the, very, at the very front of the abbey was a huge glass window, and you couldn't see what was on the other side, but the window let the light in. And at morning worship, as the sun was rising over the Isle of Mall, the sunlight coming in through the window would flood the whole room. Underneath this window was a large stone table, then came the choir stalls, which faced each other, and off to the side of the stalls was uh, a loft where the music was played from, and then many tidy wooden chairs for people to sit in. The whole cathedral was made of stone and was not heated, so when it was cold outside, which it was most days, it was cold in the cathedral. Every day we had worship once in the morning and once in the evening. Worship was not only for people at the Iona Youth Festival, but also for islanders, tourists, pilgrims, and even staff working at the Abbey. So it was kind of crazy to think of all the people worshiping with you and all the different backgrounds of the people and places they were from. In fact, one day at the Abbey, I happened to run into a couple that Will and I had sat across from while we tried to catch up on sleep from the train from Glasgow to Oban. Worship at Iona was quite interactive and usually not that long. During worship, we used a purple book, a green book, and a yellow book. The purple and yellow books had songs, while the green book had call and responses, prayers, and songs. During worship, there was a lot more singing and praying rather than one person preaching. And before every service, someone would stand in the middle of the abbey and teach everyone the songs we were going to sing during that service. At every worship, there was also a Bible passage that was read, and in the evenings, there was usually a short message to go with it. 
Also in the evenings, one of the youth small groups would lead the worship service, and often they had some sort of activity for the congregation to do. Sometimes we'd turn to those around us and talked about an issue. Another time we wrote something down on a piece of cloth, which was used in a, later used in a tablecloth. Since the theme of the week was speaking truth to power, we often talked about oppression. And so at one worship service, only those with blonde hair could sit in the front, while everyone else was separated from the front of the abbey by a curtain and had to sit in uh, the wooden chairs, which had been strewn all over the cathedral, and many people were facing the wall. Worship at, I at Iona was a great experience, and it was wonderful to worship in such a beautiful place. The theme of the week, Speaking Truth to Power, could not have come at a more appropriate time. And to talk about this issue with people of all backgrounds was truly amazing. As you stood in the cathedral worshiping with the sunlight streaming in through the front window, singing with those from home and those from around the world, God's presence could be felt. You felt like you were really getting a break from the hustle and bustle of the world. You had no Wi-Fi or cell service and were out on a tiny island in the North Atlantic and could really just enjoy being on the island. Thank you, Evan. So you have heard us refer to the Iona community. You may be wondering, what does it mean to be a part of that community? How do they live together? How does it feel to participate in a community? There are many layers of the Iona community. There are official members who take vows uh, year-round uh, membership. There are others who come and work there on the island for maybe weeks or months. There are others who have a, a kind of a, an affiliate membership who are scattered all over the world. And then there are uh, people like us who came and entered the community for a week. There are others who are tourists who get off the ferry and visit for a few hours. So how does a community form and what does it mean to even use that word? I'd like to ask Kendall McGeorge to share a little bit of her thoughts on that. Kendall? In the Iona community, everyone has responsibilities. We were given jobs at the beginning of the week for our morning chores, such as cleaning the showers, the toilets, vacuuming, or sweeping. That was just one of the responsibilities we were given. The other was for meals. Each of us was assigned to a group, either otter, puffin, or seal, and depending on what group you were assigned to, you would set up for, that, for a certain meal. The otters would set up for breakfast, the puffins lunch, and seals dinner. During the meal, two of the members of each team would sit on either end of, e of each of the tables, and one, one end would serve the table while the person on the other end got the food for people with dietary restrictions. Once everyone was finished with their meal, they sent their plates to the end that didn't serve, where the person on that end would take the dishes into the kitchen to be washed. Once everything was cleaned off the tables, the team would go into the kitchen to clean the dishes and put them away. After breakfast and dinner, there's a service in the abbey where anyone on the island who wants to worship can come. On the trip, I learned about different cultures, and I learned how to be confident myself. I learned how other countries are really into American politics and basically everything American as I was asked about it every day. I learned about how there are lots of different levels of privilege there in the world and I never really thought about it before this experience. 
Thank you, Kendall. As I said, there are different layers of community, but one thing that they in Iona absolutely required to be a, a participant in the community, there were really three main things. One was a commitment, a vow to daily uh, prayer and Bible reading. Uh, second, uh, a commitment to accountability to others in the community to, to be accountable about your time and your money. Think about that. Think about opening your appointment book. Think about letting people see how you spend your time, your work, your leisure, all of it. And uh, they actually would have a way of, a, of figuring out how much you needed to live on with your family and then how much you would have left over and then how much you should give to the community. So that's a lot of accountability, isn't it? And then the third thing was they have a commitment to work for social justice and for the care of creation. That is an extremely important thing tied together with the, the personal prayer and Bible study and worship and the, and the sharing of resources is this uh, social and political element of their community, which in a little, in a way, what we weren't quite prepared for. And I don't think our kids had, had experienced that that much uh, exposure and discussion about that. Uh, for centuries, people have come to Iona from all over the world. They've made pilgrimages there seeking renewal and rebirth and a new beginning. It was a great privilege that our own youth were able to go to a foreign land where they could not only experience all of the benefits of international travel, but actually have conversations and develop friendships with people their own age from other countries. Virginia Ziegler is going to talk about what that meant to her. While I was on... While I was on Iona, I tried to embrace what it meant to live in community by interacting with people from all over the world. In fact, I spent the majority of my time on the island with a few Swedes, a couple of Brits, and a Canadian. I instantly bonded with this group of people when I entered one of the other buildings for housing, the McLeod Center, or as we called it, the MAC, uh, and heard Leonard Skinner's Freebird blasting from someone's phone. <laughs> They couldn't believe that Len sorry. They couldn't believe that Leonard Skinner was from my hometown, which led to a lot of discussions regarding people's homeland. On the surface, the United States, Sweden, Scotland, England, and Canada all seem very, very different. And in many aspects, they are. The people from Sweden were all bilingual, knowing both Swedish and obviously English, and two people from Sweden in particular that I became very close with were trilingual. Some people from other parts of Scotland also knew Gaelic. And of course, I witnessed a, I witnessed a bit of a culture shock when it came to food. For example, I saw someone try peanut butter for the first time. But aside from those differences, we were all just a bunch of teenage kids who all shared a love for the island and a love for the community which the youth festival formed.
In discussions, both done in our clans and on our own, it was made very clear that despite nationality, most teenagers go through the same struggles and face very similar issues. There were times, however, when I felt separated from these discussions. One night, my clan had a meeting of sorts, and the topic of conversation had shifted to injustices in society. I noticed that many people from the UK and Sweden described issues which were relatively minute, minute in relation to problems which we faced in the US. Statistically, this was expected, considering our differences in political systems, and in America we have an extremely large and very diverse population. But I certainly did feel envious that the most pressing concerns for some of these people were things like reformed sex education instead of issues which we face in America, like terrorism and gun control. While on Iona, I became extremely aware of America's role in the world. In Swedish, in Swedish schools, students are taught American history and politics, and in some parts of Canada, communities are quite literally preparing for a wave of immigrants to come to, to well, become citizens of Canada uh, after the US presidential election due to such strong political opinions on both ends of the spectrum. <laughs> this made me very aware of how important it is to always try to positively ref reflect your country. But America also proved to play, proved to play a huge role in pop culture, uh, which brought me closer to more people. Who knew that a Star Wars necklace would start, start so many nerdy and glorious conversations? After reflecting all that I experienced on Iona, I can confidently say that I discovered a part of myself which I never really knew existed. While on Iona, I overcame my fear, I overcame my fear of leaving my comfort zone by reaching out to complete strangers. For the past few years, I've been struggling with an anxiety disorder, which makes socializing a lot harder than it should be. But while on Iona, I felt completely at ease with myself. Being away from all the noise and stress of my daily life I truly felt the full effects of being in a spiritually thin place. In addition to this, my interactions with people from various places in the world changed how I saw Christianity. Sometimes in America, people will use just religion in general as an excuse to hate or harass groups such as the LGBT community. But while at the youth festival, I met so many very open-minded young people with a focus on putting their differences aside in order to live together in a community of Christ. Thank you, Virginia. So, looking at the scripture today, Acts 2, it was sort of an international youth festival there in Jerusalem. People from all over the world had come to make pilgrimage to a holy city, to a holy place. There was a, comu a community already there, gathered, albeit they were gathered in hiding and in fear, but they were there, waiting in inertia, and then the presence of God came upon them. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, a fire, whatever you want to make of it, something that pushed them out of that hiding and out into public, speaking many languages, making connections across cultures and national boundaries. And 
they started developing daily practices and they started sharing their resources and eventually actually rather soon they came to have friction in the public arena they came to have a social and political witness in Jerusalem because they were saying something very radical Jesus is Lord a title reserved for the Roman leader and so Though they didn't intend to, they didn't go out of their way to, they inevitably had uh, a social and political dynamic to their communal and spiritual life. They were speaking truth to power just in how they lived together. And they could not see how they could be faithful to their community and to God with, by avoiding all friction. So it's, it's good to be reminded of these historical patterns for us, us postmodern followers of Christ. We who seek God in, in the Christian tradition. It's good to have the experience, as we did, of being the foreigners, the strangers in a strange land, having to learn the local customs on the fly, trying to adjust and fit in while still being ourselves, being in the position of some vulnerability, needing to ask for assistance often, and hoping that whatever impressions people might have about Americans in general, whatever they have heard or seen, that they would judge and treat us as individual human beings who happen to be from another place. I think this is God's dream, God's dream for all of us. I don't know if you have to take a long trip to find that dream, but I think that spirit blowing through with fire is a symbol of transformation and conversion. And I think that is necessary. That we might be converted from the inside and communally to realize the dream of God for all the world, for every country, for every generation. Amen.